Welcome to Oakley's Women in Leadership podcast. Today, I'm joined with Nicola Grant, the founder and CEO of She2 Leadership Limited. Nicola came into my network due to our joint passion about championing women. Her company, She2 Leadership, includes the production of the annual book, Wonder Women, mentoring, leadership development programs, and networking events, all dedicated to empowering senior women in business. I'm so delighted to be able to speak to the woman behind this, to hear her story of moving through recruitment into a career break, bringing up her children, to setting up her own businesses, to now. So welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. And as always, could you start just by giving an overview of your career and journey to date? Thank you, Amy. It's a delight to be here. Um, Yes, so my career and journey to date. It's interesting. Well, I've never really thought of myself as having a career really. Um, So if you want me to find all the way back, I I grew up in Manchester um, back when it wasn't quite the cool place it is today, sadly. Um, But I did grow up in a very small village that everyone will probably know now called Didsbury, where everyone goes, it's very cool. I think cold feet made it cool, but um, (laughs) we did have the Didsbury dozen back then. That was all it had going for it. Um, I grew up uh, very, I went to a small school, Catholic upbringing, went to to convent school. Both my parents were not from Manchester, they are immigrants. So my father is Irish, my mother from India, uh, born and bred in India, came over in early 20s. And so there was really a sense of, I never felt particularly Mancunian because they were determined that I wouldn't, <laughs> uh, you know, any accent or there was no sense. I think it what it was now on reflection is my parents didn't have a sense of being connected to the place. Um, and nor did they particularly feel connected to their heritage. So okay. there's that sort of lack of connection um, and feeling of belonging actually from there. So quite a small upbringing. Um, again, on reflection, it was challenging financially, a little bit emotionally, but you know what, as kids, you just get on with it, and I wouldn't say I had an unhappy childhood. Um, very strict, but not unhappy, <laughs> um, and hence the strictness. So when I got to London to go to university, um, unsurprisingly, or sadly, I didn't actually stay the course. I was way too excited to be down here and that whole kind of like oh wow no one's going to tell me what to do and freedom. That, yeah freedom that did not go well um so i left the end of uh first year was asked to leave um nepotism stepped in to save me my aunt got me a job at uh what we'd call today is a tech company it was an american semiconductor company based in london and rather hilariously was offered a job as a secretary I still can't touch type. Um, <laughs> so what quite what I did, I'm not sure, but I was clearly reasonably capable. And I loved working. I actually loved being in a corporate environment. I loved being useful. Um, I loved learning new things. Didn't quite get the hang of semiconductors, but just the whole process of procedures and all the different roles and how you could make a difference. Um, it was a global company. And I was offered the opportunity to go to Paris um, and that was I think a real turning point for me I'd asked to go I had a boyfriend at the time at university was doing a year out I was like well hey let's try and go to Paris and for some reason they agreed (laughs) Um, so I spent a year in Paris again these poor Parisians wondering why I'd been foisted on them (laughs) no secretarial skills couldn't uh, couldn't speak the language I've been taught French by an Irish nun 
who I realise now continue speaking with an Irish accent. So <laughs> I couldn't even pronounce the alphabet, which is not helpful when you're dealing in um, technical terms. Um, but somehow, oh, and just to throw in, I split up with my boyfriend the day before oh, I got there. So there was a lot of learning about me, about, you know, all the things you talk about now, about grit and resilience, stuck in a country, not speaking a language, having to do good work in a very fancy work environment. Um, and somehow pulled through. So when I came back to London, I was not sure what I wanted to do. I think probably the classic for us recruiters went to go to a recruitment company for a job and they said that, you know, uh, classic line, have you ever thought about being in recruitment? <laughs> What's recruitment? But I was very fortunate. I was offered a job in the city doing financial services recruitment at a time where it was really exciting. Um, bit of the wild west um just to age myself we everything we did was with fax we had no mobile phones no accountability but it was all about it was all about return on delivery so you know you set targets and as long as you achieve them and you were you know getting the clients everything there was there was a lot of latitude um and i think that was where i really began to learn positive skills of self-motivation, agency, um, seeing the results of your hard work because in a sales environment you're, you're actually seeing the results of your hard work in sort of financial rewards. Um, and I did that for a number of years until um, you know got to quite senior level, um, worked my way up and then I left to pursue family and other things. So I went <laughs> off, went to Chelsea Design Centre, got an interior design degree, not degree, sorry, qualification because that was my passion. Um, and then I took that into my next role of having children and doing, keeping myself busy on the side. The, the businesses that you've set up have been so varied. Has there been a common <laughs> thread in terms of um, your approach to how you've gone about it or has it just been opportunistic that something's popped up and you said oh actually yeah I'd like to turn my hand to that or how have you made the choices around the various businesses that you've yeah. set up? I don't I, I think the word uh, choices is giving me too much credit um, it was really more that you know and here's the thing sometimes is that you persuade yourself you're just doing something small and then it grows and it allows you to step into that space because if you say to yourself or depending on your personality and possibly for me it's certainly that stage of let's set up a business doing x that just seems daunting right let's just um you know what we've got to live somewhere let's buy somewhere that needs doing up i'll start with this room i'll strip the wallpaper and then next thing you know you stand back and go hmm I did a good job. Maybe I will mindfully next time go about buying somewhere that needs doing up. Mm. And it's really, I think that has always been my approach. So that was the um, sort of property business that started off as domestic property because that felt within a comfort zone. Mm -hmm. People buy, buy property all the time, right? Mm. You know, it's not going out and buying a, a block of flats or something. So that felt achievable. And then um, my next business was really around my huge passion, obsessed with baking and cakes, still am, <laughs> anything bread, cakes, baking. Um, and it was really out of juggling small children life that I was this thing of making them cakes and biscuits for their birthdays or whatever, but sometimes you wouldn't have the time. 
So I started off making cake, batter, sticky it in the fridge, and then on the day I'd bake it. And at one stage, something must have clicked, think, I wonder if other people would find this really helpful. Because I've always been about, what are the practical things you can do to make your life easier? Yep. Okay. If you can make 10 things instead of one, or make one thing in 10, um, brilliant. So that's, again, where it started. There was no, I'm going to set up a business and do B2B, large-scale, you know, catering, mm. cakes and desserts. It, little by little, it morphed into that. Um, and that was, until I've been doing what I'm doing now, that was really my passion business. I was surrounded by pastry chefs every day, oh, wow. 10, 12 pastry chefs. I would just talk cakes and desserts <laughs> with people. I mean, what's there not to love about that? <laughs> it was literally, oh, I'm the chief taster right yeah. here. <laughs> so I was absolutely in my element. Yeah. And um, yeah, I learned a lot from that and from the subsequent failure of that business as well. And, and what about She2 Leadership? What was the kind of catalyst light bulb moment that was that again something that just started out quite small and has now got bigger and bigger? I don't think it necessarily started out um, small. That wasn't really where it started from. I always say um, I took one business into an accelerator and actually, funny enough, an iteration of my baking business. Mm. Um, I wanted to revisit it. I felt there was unfinished business there. Um, and I always say I took Little Barn into, which is the name of the company, into this incubator and came out with Shooter Leadership. Okay. Obviously, linked it makes entire sense you go in with cakes and you come out with leadership of course it's it is connected but really uh just to take a step back from that um you know i've moved away from london brought up children at a certain age we'd always wanted to try and get back to london but you know you realize that at some point children have a voice and opinion and they were busy at school so we had this one window of opportunity got back to london um, and the job that brought was part of the most basic for me back to London didn't really work out. Um, and I kind of hit a bit of a rock bottom of who am I, what am I doing here, what's my role in, you know, what am I meant to be doing? Um, and by the way, I'm back in London, I don't have any network, I don't know anybody. Um, so eventually I peeled myself off the sofa and started to join networks, predominantly female networks, mm -hmm. mix of corporate and entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got accepted in this incubator. And, it, and the profile of the people taking part was very much over 35, all female, okay. um, 30 of us. All were different uh, businesses at slightly different stages. Some were at ideation stage, some you know, had a little bit of a track record and they just needed that support around them. Um, it was sponsored by some big people, including some big uh, law firms. And really, I'd already started to hear quite a lot about, within these female networks, about the challenges that women were facing. So on the corporate side, there's this well-documented time at which you know you hit, you can start to hit the buffer slightly, and it tends to coincide with that time of which you look up and look around, and maybe you're thinking about having a family. We've got a young family, you have care and responsibilities. And it just gets really difficult. You might persuade yourself you can step away from a little bit, and then it becomes really difficult to come mm. back. Or when you do come back, you're just not coping. Mm. Um, and so we do lose a lot of women at that stage. And therefore, the knock-on effect is when it gets to senior level, A, the pipeline isn't there, yeah. but B, also what's required to go from being brilliant at your job and super capable to actually being 
visible and there's an element of visibility and strategy that's required to take that leap to leadership. Um, so again, a lot of women struggle with that disconnect and, you know, get frustrated and step away. So I was hearing a lot of stories of that on the corporate side. And then on the entrepreneurial side, it was really around sort of the appalling stats around the lack of, you know, the lack of investment for female founder businesses. I think it's, at the time, this is two years ago, it was sort of around 2% of VC wow. uh, or, or possibly less or more. And then you sort of start to intersection, you know, with if you're black or other ethnic minorities, I mean, it's even worse. So I was hearing this and then there was a whole challenge around confidence and risk around women scaling their businesses. Mm. So that was all sort of thread into the mix, really interesting. Of course, I'm a, you know, um, getting into this as an entrepreneur myself. Um, and then I started to, there were quite a few men involved in delivering a lot of the content. And I started to hear quite a lot of the stories about, well, you know, this is really interesting. When we sit in a boardroom or when we do this, we're thinking this, we're thinking we're being really supportive. And I very clearly remember the chair of one of the big law firms talking about he built this law firm 50-50 intake, which is still the case in a lot of law firms. And then the classic McKinsey's triangle that you would come across it where, you know, then we start to lose these women, right? And then by the time you get to the top of the triangle, no one's left. Um, and he was really, you know, he was, he was like perturbed by this and wanted to know more. And he told the story of, of going with a colleague into at a client meeting, sitting in a boardroom. They were doing whatever they're doing. They come out halfway. His colleague turns to him. And she gets really upset and starts berating him for um, undermining her, uh, coming across, making her, uh, patronising her, etc. in the meeting. And he was genuinely horrified. He thought they were a team and he was backing her up and supporting her. So he was really interested. Uh, what was really interesting was this disconnect between what he believed was being helpful mm. and what she perceived as she needed and was helpful to her. So... That was really, the, I think for me, that was the tipping point of, and then throwing everything else I'd learned of, for some strange reason, I decided I wanted to step into that space. <laughs> <laughs> and while I was there, I changed the name of the company. I set up, I registered she to leadership, and I started to think about what it was that I wanted to do, how I could add value to the space, and what, what we could offer as she to leadership. Amazing. Brilliant story. Um, very inspirational. You, you've touched on some hurdles and challenges, but is there any particular one that you could share? Because we like to just almost show the overcoming of hurdles on this podcast as opposed to just talking about all the negatives about it. Is there any one particular one in your, your career across any area of your career that you'd like to share? Um, well, I've always touched on Paris. That was definitely a challenge and a hurdle. Um, and I learned a lot about myself. So that was one thing. Um, so with Little Barn, my bakery business, um, it, it basically, around two years, we had lots of large contracts, we were delivering across the country, um, it was incredible, but we weren't making any money. Okay. And there came a point of, and, and this is always a really interesting one, isn't it, that sort of never give up grit and resilience versus the awareness to know when you've got to take a step back. Um, yeah. It's incredibly difficult to know, you know, that whole thing about listening to your gut. And so and I don't think any of us have an answer to it. Sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong. So I think 
on reflection, maybe there was elements of I didn't want to give it up because I was in love with what I was doing. But at you know, it was costing me money. It was <laughs> it was an indulgence. You know, it was a very very expensive hobby at the end of the day. Um, and so that whole process of having to pull the plug and you know, a lot of tears. Like I, I still now, when I think about it, it gives me palpitations of turning to my team and having to say, "This is over." Um, and you know, here's the thing: we were in outbuildings on my home property. We were fortunate enough to have, uh, you know, we sort of worked our way up to this house where we had these outbuildings, and so it felt particularly personal mm. because those people were coming. Into your house. Into our house, yeah. into my outbuilding, you know, we pop into the kitchen occasionally. And it felt, and the children were young, they'd run in and out of the buildings. It felt, you know, it felt intertwined with mm. who we were as a family. So it was a very difficult thing to do. Um, and you know what, this was about 10 years ago, and people just weren't talking about failure in the same way as they do now. So to me, all it felt like was huge personal failure I was ashamed and embarrassed and I found it very difficult and I'll tell you how bad it was I didn't eat cake for two years <gasps> oh my gosh I you know I'm the person who used to go into a restaurant start with dessert and work my way backwards <laughs> you know making sure that I like food for dessert and I didn't know I really didn't and I, I, I felt like a failure and People say to me, but yes, but at least you had a go. Most people don't have, and it, it just didn't land. It just mm. didn't land. So it took a lot, and I think um, even now I get a little bit frustrated because I think, mm. you know, here's the thing: you learn stuff along the way. You think yeah. maybe I wasn't ready for that. Maybe now if I could go back with these additional skills and learnings and reflections that I've got, I'll go back and do it again, get in that TARDIS, and off I go. Um, you know, I would do it differently. So there's always going to be an element of not regret, but frustration that if I had my time over with that same business in that same situation, I'm sure we all do it. Is you know, I could it, uh, the outcome could be could be different, could be very different. Yeah. yeah. And are you eating cake again now? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Only good cake. If you're going to eat cake, make it make it good. good. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's that's a pretty good motto as well. Yeah. I think so. Absolutely. So. Question which I normally ask is whether you wanted to be number one, and I wonder whether I, I should change it slightly. Did you always want to be a business owner? No, and again, you know, I I've listened to a lot of fabulous stories on the Oak Beach podcast, um, and I'm sure we'll come on to it. You know, uh, heard lots of stories about all the fabulous women and, and, and men who are in our book series. And I'm always slightly in awe of these people who are like, I always wanted to do this, or I always wanted to do that. I had no master game plan, no plan at all. Um, <laughs> and so I think there's always elements of it being entrepreneurial because, you know, when my brother and I were 10, um, 10 and 11, we set up a car theme business. <laughs> and um, I was the one knocking on the doors, getting the business, and then my brother was the one actually doing the washing of the car. So, <laughs> so I think probably that was actually I set myself up for um, you know, uh, developing my sales skills yeah. and um, you know, pushing the door approach at a very early age. Uh, but I've always loved that I've always loved the roller coaster of doing okay. that. But equally when I worked in recruitment, I absolutely loved that whole sense of being part of the team mm -hmm. and it being a level playing field because 
yes, some, you know, we were a team, yes, we were managed, but we were all in it together. And yes, sometimes you'd be a top filler, sometimes you wouldn't, but you know, pretty much there was no huge hierarchy. Um, and I really thrived with that. Mm. And I am very much a team player. So I think I'm probably, you know, I think I probably would have been happy whichever way. Yeah. But clearly with bringing up children and all the challenges that face, um, it was always going to be really difficult. And I just enjoyed what I was doing at the time. Yeah. And I suppose that leads quite nicely into my next piece around um, work, home, life balance. You have five children. I do. All girls. Two wow. female dogs. <laughs> Poor husband. Not um, <laughs> hormones flying around in our households, but yes. Um, you've touched on the fact that obviously you kind of changed your, your work life to be able to fit with mm-hmm. um, having young children, but you still were running businesses. How did you balance it all? Or how do you balance it all still to this day? You still well, have five children. I think, <laughs> yes. Um, I think the truth is that I don't think any of us have got it right. I don't. And I think that is a, a huge underlying theme for me. Is I don't think it's helpful for anyone to claim that they've got it right, or to even think they've got it right, or project that image. So I don't even remember, but there was always this brilliant book by the journalist Alison Pearson called "I Don't Know How She Does It," <laughs> and it kind of became a strapline. Um, and you know, this was sort of again, harking back to a certain time back in the world of corporate, was you kept your home and work life very separate. Yeah. There wasn't that sense of blending of work-life balance, etc. It was when you were at work, you at work. And particularly as a woman, I think there was a certain reticence to talk. Although I predominantly worked in quite a young environment, but there was a sense we didn't really talk about anything to do with outside work, home, responsibility, troubles, etc. You, mm. you walked through the door, you left it all at the door and you got on with it. Um, and so, you know, this I don't know how she does it. Um, it kind of is not very helpful, I don't think, because it implies that that person is coping and then it puts a pressure on them. So if somebody said to me, gosh, Nicola, I don't know how you do it, um, you almost feel that you can't really go, you know what, actually, I'm making complete pigs of it. My children hate me today. I've got it all wrong. Um, you know, and so. I think part of it is acknowledging that none of us have got it nailed, that we're all just making up as we go along. Now, sometimes we cope better than others and we get into the swing of it and we have a, a run of luck and then it all goes pear shapes again. Um, and a lot of my lows have been, you know, um, after the event. So I realised quite quickly that the children are not going to thank you for having a super clean, tidy, immaculate house. <laughs> they don't care. Um, that no, probably causes them more strife actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So my need for a calm work, you know, environment is just entirely indulgent as far as they're concerned. Um, and things like ironing, you know, just stupid stuff like that. I, I used to watch my friends stand there and iron a whole load of kids' clothes only to find them dumped on the floor while they were looking for that sock at the back. Like, no. So I think it's about prioritising it and Again, it's easier said than done, you know, that who cares if you don't do the homemade cakes at the school gate. So, you know, I think particularly when children are at at junior school and you're there, you're in that community, secondary school, you never see the parents, so, you know, no one cares what you get up to. But there's a sense of pressure, okay? Everyone's getting involved in the PTA, everybody's making homemade cakes, this, that, the other. 
outfits for the school play. And at first, I used to feel really good. And ironically, I had a bakery business, you know, but still didn't have time. She just got a contract with the school. You I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> but then I realised, actually, you know what? It's all very well. All these people doing all this incredible hard work to try and raise funds, whatever the outcome is meant to be. That you know, actually, someone needs to turn up and spend some money here. So we all have a role to play, and it may not be the obvious role. So. I thought, you know, I maybe I'm not visible and, and running a store or making the cakes or whatever, but I can turn up and I can spend money. Mm. And that's my contribution. Yeah, so totally. I think sometimes we don't realise the contributions we're making. Um, I think none of us are managing it. We manage it at different times. And I think it's a lifelong challenge. Um, yeah. And sometimes you do it well and sometimes you do it not so well. Yeah, and just accepting that that's actually... And just That's fine. That's better than fine. Yeah, that's fine. And the odd, you know, sort of a, the old processed meal or pizza, the children aren't going to drop dead. Like, they'll be fine. Because <laughs> yeah. they're probably like eating a ton of chocolate on the way home from school. Anyway. Yeah. Or they'll eat it when they're in the teens anyway. So. Exactly. So they're pretty resilient, actually. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know. I was doing a podcast actually the other week and we were like, kids are resilient. They'll bounce back. That's oh, the great God. thing about them. Um, yeah. So. A lot of what you've just said is around finding a point within yourself where you feel comfortable to say, actually, no, this is okay for me and I'm okay with that. And I think that's a lot around finding who you are and being authentic to yourself and having this authentic voice. How have you developed yours along the way? I'm a believer that it's not just a button that you switch on and you're like, oh, I've found it. But maybe it is for you, I don't know. But how have you kind of developed yours along the way and what challenges have you come across? So figuring out, I guess it boils down to figuring out who you are yeah. and what you stand for. Um, and again, I think there's an underlying theme here is that I'm probably a late developer when it comes to that thoughtful, reflective bit. Um, and again, when you, when you start to do that piece where you take the time out to think about what you've achieved, where you've got to, what you've done today, what you maybe want to carry forward and what you know is time to ditch. Uh, all these different things. Some people start to do that very early on in life, mm-hmm. and others um, not so much. So I would say that you know, um, my twenties, thirties, even you know, halfway through my forties, I was very much around being on that roller coaster, and I thrive from being on that roller coaster. You know, a crazy busy life, probably just like always one thing too many going on, <laughs> yeah. and you know, it's going to tip somehow, but somehow it didn't for the longest time um and you know just getting on with it just Mm -hmm. being in the day-to-day and having fun and doing good stuff and just like on to the next thing on to the next thing on to the next thing and that challenge and adrenaline and survival and madness and it's only been and, and i guess also for me if i'm being critically honest with myself was for me success was measured in financial terms and out you know I've never been one for showing off if I had money but when I say financially it's feeling financially comfortable and that probably goes back to you know my upbringing of not having any money at all um, and not being feeling safe and secure from that point of view Um, but actually so for me success was about making money Mm -hmm. and having a nice house and having a nice car and all of this and then sometime in my mid-40s probably when 
you know, was thinking of coming back to London and I started to make that shift to want it to be about connections and making friendships and relationships and, and what I could learn from other people. And I really felt, um, possibly because I, you know, always had a bit of a thing about not finishing my university education, which is probably thrown in the mix there as well. So I, I wanted to learn more and I sort of had sort of developed this curious deep curiosity as we call it and sort of growth mindset more so than ever i've always been interested um but actually it became more mindful the way i went about it um, yeah and so that's when i really think i started to develop my voice and i would say to be honest with you amy it's been over the last two years when i've stepped into this space as an outsider mm. so at first there was huge amounts of you know who am i to step into this space um you know i'm talking to and working with people who've given their career to being a, you know, an HR or DEI or leadership and they've got a lot of deep experience, credibility um, and hard work and then so who am I? And little by little I kind of realised that I was adding a new perspective that you know maybe when you're down in the trenches that I was coming in with a kind of helicopter view from a business point of view that I could see things that those that spent their life and they couldn't see and so I started to gain confidence with that and I just listened and I took on board and what's really interesting is I think you develop your voice when if you listen and you just wait to speak and you listen to enough stuff and then you start to try it out and you see what lands and what doesn't land is you you almost start to sort of patchwork together what you what feels right to you Mm. and what you would feel comfortable with sharing with other people and you, you really believe and then I think there's an element of trial and error and then you get rid of a bit and you add a bit and it's you know almost like a sculpture or a piece of, and then it's that that is you and that's your voice mm. and then you build on it and, and for me way. that's been the last few years yeah that's a lovely way of looking at it it's just like that constant build and development yeah. Lovely. So, who's inspired you? Who who's influenced and inspired you throughout your life and career? <laughs> so that's an interesting one. Um, I think inspiration can come from. We always talk about inspiring, and we always think of it, or I have always thought of it as a sort of positive inspiration. Wow, that person's really inspiring in a positive way, and so it should be. But I think sometimes inspiration in a broader sense or motivation which is linked with inspiration can come from a negative situation Mm -hmm. so I think I was definitely inspired and motivated to be determined to do well in life whatever that looked like even though I didn't necessarily have a plan but I had this underlying determination to keep moving forward that probably came from my childhood and seeing my parents live very small lives. Um, they were basically scared of life and didn't really get involved in life through friendship, through connection, or anything, um, through achievement or anything. They did their best, mm. and I see that now under very challenging circumstances. But I think that that inspired me. That was my work, sort of in the early days. Um, and then I think inspiration, could, you know, when you're doing good work, you sort of see people around you and you, you generally are attracted or navigate towards them. Mm. Um, but by and large, and then 
you know, negative things that have happened in my life where I've actually had to, probably in the last 18 months, I've had some situations where I've basically had to knuckle down and get on with it. And it's inspired me to prove people wrong. Yeah. That's always a great face to face, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, well, blow me. I'm not gonna I'm not going to lean into that sort of stereotype yeah. categorization. I'm gonna prove that yeah. I'm not that person. Even though sometimes I think maybe if you secretly think, Oh, yes, they're right. Or you know, when you're having a tough day you think, hmm, maybe they're right and then you That's just true. go, No, 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 I'm not going to and you force yourself, it's almost like you're talking to someone else, and, and it really spurs you on. Hmm. But I have to say, on a positive note, the people over the last three years that have carried me forward, and maybe this is a good point at which to mention um, the stories and yeah, the book definitely. series that we've done. So I genuinely can say that um, the women and men that I've met that whose stories have been for formed you know our Wonder Woman book series they've just been extraordinary I cannot tell you the number of times that I have jumped on a zoom call with somebody thinking I know and I I, you know you'll get this right as a recruiter Mm -hmm. we you know obsessed with people's CVs their LinkedIn profiles you look at their career trajectory and then you make whether you know or not you make an assumption about the choices they've made about who they are, about how successful or not, yep. job title, whatever it is, the <laughs> business they work in. Yeah. And then, so I was connecting with these people, and a lot of it was building a business and reaching out for advice, and all these people, incredibly generous at that time. We get on a call, and I, I started to hear what I call like the narrative behind the narrative, the story behind the story. And there was another story that sat behind about the blocks, the challenges, the you know, the, this is why I ended up doing what I was doing. No, I didn't start off thinking I was going to do this. In fact, there was something terrible that happened that caused me to have to go in a different direction. So we all know. And then actually there was something that happened here. Um, you know, for example, with entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs particularly, I find that they tend to fall into two categories. They come from often a really safe corporate background mm-hmm. and they just are so frustrated by some lack of good or goods or service that just just doesn't serve them as a woman whether as an individual or a parent or whatever it is and they just think I'm going to go and solve that and off they go or they've decided that they need to save the world because frankly someone's doing a really crap job at the moment so you know they better stay and step into that space um and not a lot in between and so all of these stories and and people are sharing some quite personal stuff Mm. around tragedy, around learnings, around things that they found helpful. And I cannot tell you how inspiring that has been. And one of the things that I found was actually with some of the stuff that I've been through, I'd, you know, um, always been the strong one in my family and in my extended family. I've been the tough one, go to the tough, go to get on with it and solve everybody else's problems. So it took a bit of time for me, ironically, to let my guard down and start to be a bit vulnerable and say to people, look, I've had a really tough time and mm. unexpected and I'm having to step up and I'm learning, you know, I never thought I'd have to be doing this. Um, and what was extraordinary is people then share back with you and that sort of depth of connection that sort of the multiplier effect that comes from having that kind of like, well, let's just skip 
to get the, you know, uh, onto two years' time. So you've almost like had this sort of, I've known some incredible women and now I've got this close-knit group of, of women and men who supported me. And it probably would have taken me five, ten years to get to the stage where I am now. So... That's the answer. Do a book. Do do a book. You know, share. um, And actually, you know, just just be open and honest because we're all going through stuff. Now, it might not be now. It might be before. And it might not be the same thing. But, you know, life is tough and we have good times and bad times. Yeah. I think that is always the the, uh, reality, isn't it? It's always a different thing. Everyone's, even if it's exactly the same challenge, everybody will go through it in a different way. Um, But everyone will always face highs and lows. I think yeah, That's I think so. Denominator. It's true, and I think there is the other thing that if we can help other people cling on and not slide all the way down to the bottom of the mountain, or or, or everybody else who doesn't have to start at the bottom of the mountain and climb it, because we can help them a little bit. Mm. Um, and that was the thing about the you know the other thing for me was the relatability of the people. Um, mm. They felt like okay, I could take that advice, that resonates, that lands because they felt relatable. So again. When we when you talk about who or what inspired you, I've always been more inspired by people that felt real. Mm. Um, and the other, the other sector is when you ask my family, they find it hilarious. I'm always inspired by older people doing great stuff. <laughs> you know, tell me about a 21 year old that's making a couple of billion. I'll go, yeah, that's really nice. But tell me about a 75, 85 year old uh, person who's still knocking out the park and getting involved in that. And I'm just like. Wow, <laughs> I want to know that person. I'm in awe. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Brilliant. I am going to have to bring it to a clue at close because otherwise we will talk for hours and hours. I know, and hours. I know. It's um, problem with and, you, Amy. And it's, um, it's been great fun and um, I genuinely enjoy our chats. I am sat, just for everybody's knowledge, with a Wonder Woman book in my hand. So um, if anybody else wants to get their hands on it, if you go onto the um, She Too Leadership website, we'll put it in the, the podcast so people can have a look. Um, also, all the information is there that you need to find in terms of the mentoring schemes, the leadership programs, the networking events, amongst all the rest that She2 Leadership offers. I'm Absolutely. probably doing it a bit of a disservice and summering We're it up. We're building it out every day, <laughs> yes. Um, but please do reach out. Um, and look, it was lovely to have you on the podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed our chat and I hope yeah. you have too. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Thanks.